Life is a roller coaster, <laughs> to say the least. If I was preaching this text really any other time, I, I, would, I would open with that and say that life is a roller coaster. And it has been that for us um, <laughs> in recent days, for sure. The steep climbs and deep drops and sharp turns and slow moments that you wish would hurry up and fast moments that are like a blur when you wish you had time to enjoy what was going on. Joel has been a bit of a roller coaster for us as a church, hasn't it? We started out with this incredible message of judgment and uh, wow, what a great opener in July. Uh, after a message on uh, be doers of the word and not hearers, and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to be a doer, not a hearer, and then you show up and the pastor talks about locusts for 35 minutes. It was a, quite an interesting day. But because he's a minor prophet, it doesn't make light of his role. This is the word of God preserved in a language we can understand. The Holy Spirit and God the Father and Jesus saw fit for this to be part of the revealed word of God. Our journey with this minor prophet has been timely, I believe, and significant. Joel's prophecy, just as a way of setting up before we get into our text this morning, does not really contain any direct messianic teaching. But the New Testament uses Joel in three ways. There are three times that the book of Joel is quoted or referenced three times in the New Testament. All three times are from the passage that we will read today. I find that interesting. It's intriguing. In fact, all three times are from this third in the series of messages from Joel. Peter quotes from Joel 2. You know that. We're going to get to that today in Acts 2. And we'll spend some time there. Paul quotes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I read to you from Romans 10. Then John in Revelation 6, 9, and 14 circles back around some of the imagery and pictures that we have in Joel to paint for us that apocalyptic revelation of Jesus Christ. Speaking of roller coaster, we've already had two days of the Lord referenced in our study, and today's sermon is entitled The Day of the Lord. That's, I don't believe, necessarily an exhaustive or comprehensive title, but it does capture what's going on prophetically here. But we had the first day of the Lord, which dealt with the locusts, the imminent day of the Lord right in front of them, the, or rather the immediate, then the imminent one that was coming with the next invasion, the army of people or locusts, depending on where you land with that, was coming. And today we catch glimpses of the final day of the Lord. The last part of this chapter, the passage that Caroline read to you this morning was so important to the Hebrews. Listen, that in the Hebrew Bible... The passage that Caroline read is chapter 3 in the Hebrew Bible. That's it. Chapter 4 starts with chapter 3. Confused yet? Don't be. But that's what's going on. So I think earlier in the message I said, hey, it's only four chapters if you want to read. And, and Ashley, said, um, Ashley said, hey, wait a minute, what? Uh, there are only three chapters, Pastor. Uh, my wife calls me Pastor when she needs to bring my attention to something. And she's correct. There are only three chapters in our Bible, but this passage reads as chapter 3 in the Hebrew Bible. Let me give you a quick summary of what we'll cover here in this last moment. Um, it could really be kind of uh, categorized the way that Victor Brooks did it in 91 in his great 
help the Bible reader's companion. I liked his summary here. God will pour out his spirit. God will save all who call on him. God will execute judgment. And then next week, our final message is hope for God's people. I massage those a little bit, but I like the way that he divides the verses there. Let's get started in our first passage here. Let's take a look at these promises connected to the day of the Lord. The verse I'll put on the screen, uh, Joel 2, 28, 31. If you're taking notes, that's your first note. By the way, you can follow along with the notes on the YouVersion Bible app. There should be a link there working for you. Or if you've got the Grace Covenant Church app, they're right there in sermon notes. Here's the passage. It says, And you'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit. Let me just give you a quick little insight into this. You notice he says all flesh, right? All flesh. You see all flesh there. You see all different stations of life. All different stations of life and all different types of people. All flesh, all ages and all stations you see there. That's important. There are a couple prophetic contexts related to this as we think about Acts 2. We're going to go there and read it in just a moment. The Jewish context is this. He says in that first part, you see it, and it shall come to pass afterward. The afterward there is coming after, guess what? What we had just read. Verses 18 through 27. When the Lord heals the nation after this invasion, this second wave that's coming. But when you read afterward in a prophetic, poetic book like Joel, it doesn't mean that today is Monday and afterward is Tuesday. <laughs> afterward can take many, many years. In fact, it took centuries to pass before God would pour out His Spirit in the way that Joel described. When Peter quotes this verse in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit led him to interpret afterward as the final days or the last days. That's the Jewish context. The church context we see, Peter quoting Job's prophecy as the Holy Spirit was moving and fulfillment was beginning. Peter said the same Holy Spirit was the this is that had now come and was empowering believers to proclaim God's word to those around us. Take your Bibles, if you will, grab a pew Bible if you need to, and turn to Acts chapter number two. It won't be on the screen. Acts chapter number two, right after the Gospels. Acts chapter 2. So the day of Pentecost arrives. Let's see where this prophecy begins its fulfillment. The day of Pentecost arrives. The Holy Spirit falls. The disciples are together in one place. A sound comes from heaven. That sound fills the room. The sound does. And then the Holy Spirit fills people. The Holy Spirit, by the way, fills people. I've just seen a clip from this nut job pastor. I don't often use language like that, but he said that uh, the, what was it? The amount of feel, filling of the Holy Spirit is directly proportional to the size of the room. Say what? Uh, I've been, my wife and I have been in what is, and I bet that uh, Edith and some others in the room have been in a room purported to be exactly like the upper room when we were in Jerusalem. I got news for you. That shook the nations, and that room was a fraction of the size of this room. So anecdotally, that doesn't work, and biblically, it doesn't work. The sound filled the room. The Spirit filled the people. 
You see it? The Holy Spirit fills the people and causes them to proclaim Jesus to all who are within earshot. Now, many of you get nervous at verses in Acts chapter 2. Awesome. Buckle up. Here we go. Here we go. Acts chapter number 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, proclaiming the word of the Lord. Look who was nearby. Verse 5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Devout what? Men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So this group of disciples standing there talking and everybody hears in their own language. Who's the everybody? Look who it is. Verse 9, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, were hearing them tell in their own tongue what? The mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Do you understand what's happening here in Acts chapter number 2 when the Holy Spirit comes? This is not the charismata, the gift of utterances, speaking in tongues that happens in church services that are unintelligible and you wait on an interpretation from God. That's not that. That's an apostolic sign gift. This is one of the apostolic sign gifts. The Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, filling these people in the upper room, to proclaim the gospel, read the message, the sermon's there, and it's preached in every language that's nearby. They all hear it in their own language. They marvel, and here's how they respond. Look at verse 37. How do they respond to this? Do they say, ooh, ooh, give me that gift. Ooh, ooh, I want some. Ooh, ooh, let's get her done. Now, that's, I don't think they said any of that, part of those, because those phrases weren't around back then. Anyway, look at how they respond in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Not everybody was there. Everyone, who, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So what's the message? The message is Jesus. It's in every language that's nearby. This is an incredible, dynamite, explosive power of the Holy Spirit. God pouring out His Spirit. Peter says this is that which was prophesied by Joel the prophet. And it is, to a degree, a partial fulfillment. But remember, Joel's prophecy, if you've got your Bible still in Joel 2, said, we looked at who it mentioned, it said all flesh, all ages, and all stations. Peter's audience, some of you thought I was bringing attention to it um, because of some patriarchal or complementarian point I was going to make. I'm not. Peter's address, this thing was fulfilled to men that were in Jerusalem at the time who were mostly Jews and some Gentile proselytes, but not necessarily Gentiles functioning as Gentiles. These were men in the city for the Jewish feast. The Gentiles didn't enter into the blessing of the Holy Spirit until Acts 10 with Cornelius. Why would I bring your attention to that? I want you to understand something. When we read books of prophecy in the Bible, 
And when everybody and their brother posts some crazy whack job video link for you on Facebook and says, this is it, this is it, it's this kind of, he's coming today, he's coming today, watch this, you've got to watch this, you're not going to take, watch, this is my new favorite, watch this before they take it down. You know what, let me save you the trouble, I don't need to see it, I never watch them. But people, everybody feels like they have insight into prophecy, listen, the, the prophecy of God fulfills when he is pleased and how he is pleased for it to fulfill. And it'll happen just like he said. But here we see part of this starting in Acts 2, another part unfolding in Acts 10, and yet we still don't have all of this fulfilled. What's the purpose of God's Spirit here? I don't want to miss this. I don't want to spend too long on this, but I don't want to miss this. What's the purpose of God's Spirit here as depicted in Joel and in Acts? Why do you pursue the Holy Spirit? Is it to give dreams and visions and prophetic utterances? Is it about the gifts? Why would Joel even say this? Hang with me for just a moment. This is powerful. Throughout the Old Testament, understand the Spirit was primarily depicted as an instrument or an expression of God's power. Watch this. That visited only certain people at specific times to accomplish certain tasks. That's it. You see it. And then the Spirit came on him or the anointing came on him and then left him. Or her, and then left her. It's, it's just the way it worked. Moses, in Numbers, I found this. I didn't like, it's not like it was hiding, and I found it. I just hadn't seen it before. But in Numbers 11, Moses sees the benefit of all of God's people being able to understand the word of the Lord. Moses says, in Numbers 11, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Joel speaks here of a day when that longing will be fulfilled as a result of the great work of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament prophets look forward to a day when God would give His people a new heart and a new mind that they would be able to keep the laws and the covenant in the Bible. We know that the giving of God's Spirit would take place at a time when people were being forgiven of their sins. Here's the big picture, y'all. It's not about gifts. It's not about some explosive, dynamic experience. It's about intimacy and access with God Himself. Only certain people could hear from God. Only certain people could understand what God was saying. And only an even smaller bunch could actually communicate on behalf of God to others. But let me tell you what the Holy Spirit has done for you and for me that are in Christ. John 16, Jesus says of the Spirit, when He comes, before He came, when He comes, He will convict the world, the world, not just some. He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is already judged. He will convict, watch this, all flesh, all ages, all stations of their sin. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus says he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he says, whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. God poured out his spirit so that everyone could understand. So that Everyone could have the opportunity to communicate. And before we get to this final everyone here, I'll touch on this darkness we see in the next couple verses, but also so that everyone could call 
upon the name of the Lord. God gave His Spirit so that we could know God and know the Word of God. The proclamation of the gospel is not limited to those who stand on platforms behind pulpits. We can't get it done. In fact, the New Testament tells us we're not supposed to. (laughs) I do preach and proclaim and knit in the gospel into what I'm preaching and call for response every Sunday. It may not be an old-fashioned sawdust invitation with just as I am playing in the background, but trust me, there's a call to respond. The gospel is to be proclaimed, watch this, by you as ambassadors for Christ. Our job as elders is to equip you to do the work of ministry and to see you grow and mature in the faith. Look with me at verses 30 and 31 in Joel 2. Now you're looking at your watch saying, we're never going to get out of here on time. Trust me, this is one of those sermons where a lot of stuff happens in point one. Point two is real short. Point three, we kind of go, and then move on. But hang with me for just a few more moments. This is under the heading, God pouring out His Spirit. Verse 30, Joel 2. We're back in Joel now. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Again, you'll get a Facebook thing in Messenger saying the moon's going to be red. Jesus is coming back on the moon on a murder hornet. I don't know what they say today, but anyway... Watch that. Here's a part of the prophecy. The locust plague was foreshadowing a greater disaster that loomed on the horizon. The prophet here is telling Israel, he's describing how that day will affect Israel and the nations. The day of the Lord is marked by frightening signs and wonders that so often characterize God's visitation when he comes in judgment. Joel's prophecy and poetry for what lay ahead in the future for Israel and for us Remind us of this beauty, the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. One camp reads this passage in Joel and believes that every jot and tittle of this was fulfilled in Acts 2. Those are covenant theologians, hardcore covenant guys. Believe that. They say this happened there. Another camp, classic dispensationalists, believe that Acts 2 didn't fulfill this at all because every aspect of Joel's prophecy has to come true before it can say it's been fulfilled. I can't defend either of those extreme positions with my Bible open. Here's what I see. I see the prophecy beginning to be fulfilled in Acts 2. I see another piece in the puzzle coming together in Acts 10 when the Gentiles, because it was for all flesh, all ages, all stations... And then I see that we have yet to see the cosmic spectacles that will affect the whole earth as described with these apocalyptic glimpses from the prophets of old. The final age, whatever you call it, a dispensation or the church of the messianic age. I think I hit everybody there. We're in it now. God's spirit has been poured out. God's judgment on sinners will be poured out soon. Now, even though we Westerners have to have one or the other. God is perfectly content with the tension of us living in the now and the not yet. Would you let that help you when you read your Bible? Would you let that help you when you read things about prophecy? 
We await the culmination of all things. God pours out His Spirit so that everyone can understand, so that everyone will have the opportunity to communicate and find this next verse here, so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Point two. God will save all who call upon Him. Joel 2.32. You see it there? And it comes to pass. It will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. There's an immediate context to the Jew. There's an immediate context to the Jew. They would be singing that song, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be saved. They may not sing that version of it, but essentially they're singing that psalm. Hosanna and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. So shall I be safe from my enemies. There was a very immediate application of this for the people of God under Joel's prophetic voice. But for you and I, we see it too. That dread day of the Lord will also be a salvation for those who call upon the name of the Lord. Notice here in this one verse, how the balance is carefully navigated. It's a beautiful verse here. See it? There is the moral responsibility and the free offer of grace. Do you see it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Balanced beautifully with the electing purpose of God. Among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Again, we want one or the other. It's all this camp or that camp. God is perfectly satisfied with the tension of both. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It means to confess Him. It means to worship Him as He has been revealed and is revealing Himself. The Bible says in Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. The mighty blessing of God's people will go hand in hand with a tremendous upheaval throughout all creation. There will be darkness and fire and blood and smoke and that dreadful day will come. But at the center of it all, Jerusalem will be both the focus of judgment and the place of refuge. Hear me, church family. Joel is pointing to Mount Zion and Jerusalem as the seat of God's salvation. I'm teaching now. I was preaching a minute ago. I'm teaching now. Ready? As the seat of God's salvation all through Old Testament prophecy and for the people of Israel, Mount Zion and Jerusalem are the seat of God's salvation. <laughs> In the same way, though, Christ became the seat, the concentrated focus of God's salvation for all humanity. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He's appointed to us by His Son. He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things through whom He created the world. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Therefore, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. All flesh, all ages, all stations. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. It's beautiful, y'all. God will pour out His Spirit. Joel says this centuries and centuries before it happens. God's going to pour out His Spirit. 
There's going to be salvation to all. He didn't even realize what all he was saying. The Holy Spirit speaking through him, writing scripture. And finally, God will execute judgment on all nations. I told you point two and three would be quick. God will execute judgment on all nations. We're going to look at chapter three now rather quickly. With Bibles open, I'm going to do this like we did in our first message. You keep your Bible open. I'm going to do a little survey across some of those verses. When it comes to Israel, the last days or latter times will involve both tribulation and exaltation. A time of trouble followed by a time of triumph and glory. When it comes to the church, though, the last days involve... You ready for your encouragement? Put your big boy, big girl pants on. This stings a little bit. When it comes to the last days, as far as the church is concerned, the the Bible speaks of perilous times, satanic opposition, and apostasy. Yay! Us! (laughs) Right? But before speaking of the signs and the wonders in store for Jerusalem, Joel describes a future judgment of the nations. Verses 1 and 2, he talked about restoring. You see it there? Just watch with me, please, in Joel as I move quickly through this text. Restoring Israel's fortune means judgment for others. The judgment is primarily because of their attitude and actions toward God's people. They had scattered the flock and broken up their unity by dispersing them among the nations. Let me give you a quick, remember how we study the Bible, the induction method, observation, interpretation, application. Let me give you a quick observation note. It's clear that these events had already happened, but there's not enough detail to pinpoint specifically where they happened. Identification of them, I mean where on a timeline. Look on, verses 1 and 2. They scattered and caused disunity among God's people. Can I tell you something? Church brother, church friend, God still takes seriously and will execute judgment on those that scatter and cause disunity among the brethren. Verse 3. They treated others with contempt. Look, they've cast lots for my people. They've traded a boy for a prostitute. They've sold a girl for a wine and have... Drunk it. People were objects for them to exploit and consume. Well, this has no bearing on our modern day, does it? Verses 4 and 5. They stole Israel's wealth and placed it in their pagan and heathen temples for mockery and idol worship. Here, Joel is illustrating God's justice on the Philistines and on Tyre and Sidon. These two cities, while they were independent, were often identified with the Philistines. Verse 6. They sold Israel's people into slavery. Verse 7 and 8, God is clear that He will pay them back. I will return payment on your own head. He's going to have the last word. They will pay for their sins. And now we escalate from those immediate threateners of God's people to the nations. Earlier, the prophet had summoned Israel to fast and lament. Remember it? Chapter 1 and chapter 2. Fast, lament. Here, he's calling people to pick up arms. This summons is not to the nations for victory against Israel. This summons is to the nations to defeat. The images of Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 are reversed. They're taking plowshares and beating them into weapons of destruction. As you read that, it kind of unpacks that apocalyptic vision and 
sights and sounds, if you will. Look at verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decisions. These multitudes are hordes of people in this valley of judgment. This is not a decision, if you will, for them to see whether or not they're going to come to the Lord. That's already been made. It's too late. This is judgment day for Israel's enemies. It's salvation for the people of God because He will be to them a refuge. Joel, along with other prophets, describe a time of revelation to Israel and the nations because the Lord will be known as He is. I'm finishing. I'm landing the plane. Sometimes in our God loves you society and everybody's a somebody and where a local pastor in Charlotte just weeks ago posted on his social media feed, you are enough. Claiming to be an evangelical pastor. I'm sorry, you're not. You're not. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. In this age, we often forget that the goodness and the grace of God Almighty includes the defeat and judgment and eternal punishment of the enemies of God's people. These enemies of God thought they could disrupt God's plan and destroy His people, but they were wrong. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Micah 4. They didn't know the thoughts of the Lord. They didn't understand His plan. He's gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. John catches a glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 14. He sees the angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, all flesh, all ages, all stations. What does the angel say? Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Look at verse 17 as we close. What's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of all this judgment and the day going dark and the locusts and the plagues and the fasting and the weeping and the wailing and the repenting and God restoring and God taking and the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What's the purpose? Look at it. So that you shall know I am the Lord your God. Wherever you find yourself in the Word of God, studying a poetic, prophetic, minor prophet, or an engaging, incredibly relevant, easy-to-find application New Testament book that's speaking to your life in powerful ways, always remind yourself that the goal is that you may know Him and the power of His resurrection. The day of the Lord is approaching. Christ is returning soon. I'm not quoting Joel here. This is Pastor Chad speaking to you. When Christ returns in all of His glory to rule and to reign, when His feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, all will know. There'll be no polls, no polling authority, no public opinion. They will know that He is the Lord God Almighty, that He is holy, and that His people are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Where will you stand on that fateful day? Are you the beneficiary of, watch this, first point, God's Spirit being poured out? Have you understood the word of the Lord? Have you seen God as high and holy and you as sinful and in need of a Savior? Has the Holy Spirit illuminated your mind? 
Where will you stand on that faithful day? Have you called upon the name of the Lord for your salvation? Where will you stand on that faithful day? Or will you be among those on whom God will execute his judgment? Centuries before the Spirit came, Joel said, the day of the Lord is coming. Peter prophesies and preaches on the day of Pentecost and says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. On this July Sunday morning in 2020, I'm here to tell you today is the day of salvation. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I want to finish how I started the service. And the final call of invitation is from Romans 10. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth. It's in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew or the Greek, the same Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to give you 60 seconds just to bow your head and confront your heart with the claims of Christ, the truth of his word this morning. Have you called on the name of the Lord today? Could be the day of salvation for you. Those of you watching online, take a moment in this strange silence and call on Jesus. Lord, give your gospel a free and joyful passage through the world today for the conversion of those you are calling by your spirit in grace and mercy. Hasten your coming, blessed Savior, and end these sinful days. Give us grace that like wise virgins, we may be prepared with the oil in our lamp to meet you, the blessed bridegroom at your coming whether it be by death or the day of judgment, Lord Jesus, come when you will, but come quickly. We need you, Lord. We humbly beg and crave for your mercy today. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.